This morning we're going to be continuing our teaching series on the New Testament book of Galatians, and uh, today we're going to be looking at chapter 4 and just a few verses in the middle of that chapter, but this is a passage of Scripture that really is one of the most tender writings of the Apostle Paul, and up until now he's been very firm in his confrontation with, uh, with the Judaizers who were trying to lead these new Galatian believers uh, astray. And uh, basically, Paul point, uh, pulls no punches. He calls a spade a spade. And yet here, for a few brief moments, we see he pulls back the curtain of his own inner soul, and he reveals his anguish, his pain, his personal limitations, his feelings of failure, his overwhelming sense of appreciation for these uh, folks, for his willingness to change and his commitment to, to, to these uh, believers that he considers his spiritual children. So he pulls out all the stops in this passage and he begins to speak from, the very, from his heart. And in doing so, Paul is teaching these new Christ followers that God really has to be seen in a person's life if you're gonna try to communicate the gospel. So boldly he reveals his own humanity his own infirmities he makes an appeal uh, for them to return to the freedom that they have found in jesus christ god we thank you for the opportunity that this church has to serve you in places of need beyond our own community and we thank you that this team today has taken your commission of matthew 28:18 to go into all the world preaching the gospel, connecting people with the love and life of Jesus Christ. We're grateful for every opportunity to actually do something to fulfill that commission of Jesus. So Father, I ask that you would first provide for their safety, this team as they travel today and keep them in your care throughout the week. May their willingness to go and to serve be blessed and multiplied as they serve you. We also pray that you will give each member of this team a submissive heart, bring unity of your spirit and a bond of peace among the entire group. Let the mind that is in Christ be also in all of them. Give them a servant's heart, give them a spirit as you did Jesus, lead and guide them each step of the way and may the gifts that you have placed within them be used for your glory. Let them be the hands and feet of Jesus this week. And may your presence surround each one of them, watch over them from beginning to end, and grant them success, we pray. Now bless our worship here. May we be open to your spirit, to all that you want to speak into our lives today. We pray it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I'll ask you a question. Have you ever tried to stop someone you love from doing something really stupid? Have you ever tried to stop someone you love from doing something stupid? It may have been a foolish choice, it may have been a dumb business move, it may be um, a relationship that was obviously bad for that person. Maybe you have a friend who's been unfaithful in their marriage, maybe you've seen someone contemplating a divorce for a trivial reason, maybe you saw a friend slipping into alcohol or drug abuse. Whatever the reason you... Uh, uh, realized that um, you needed to step in. Whatever it was, the point is you saw it, you tried to step in and help them to see the light. You wanted to save them from making a terrible mistake. And to make matters worse, you could see it, but they couldn't. No matter how much you talked, how much you pleaded or argued or yelled or reasoned with them, they just don't get it. I suppose all of us have been there at one time or another. Whenever we get in that situation, 
Two things usually happen. One, the friendship gets strained. Second, passions tend to run high on both sides, don't they? The conversation might go something like this. Get out of my life. I'm only trying to help you. If you want to help, leave me alone. But I'm your friend. You're no friend if you act like that. Am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? See, this is precisely where the Apostle Paul found himself with the Galatian believers. In the beginning, Paul had preached the gospel to them. He had won many of them to Christ. He knew them well. He prayed for them by name. He rejoiced in every victory won, and he wept over their struggles. He loved them as his spiritual children. And they looked to him as a spiritual father. And now the Judaizers had entered the picture. These false friends were seducing these immature Galatian believers into adopting the practices of early Judaism. Now they were on the verge of turning away from the Lord. When Paul calls them to account, they get angry at him they, uh, for butting into their life. Who's Paul to tell us how to live? Why doesn't he mind his own business? Leave us alone. See, Paul is like a parent who's in pain. And at this point, the potential for disaster is great. What do you get when the people you love reject your advice and get angry with you for even trying to talk to them? If you say nothing, things get worse. But if you try to say something, they may get worse anyway. In that situation, it's easy to write people off. Go ahead, be a fool. Jump off the cliff, see if I care. I warned you. I hope you hit the bottom so hard it knocks some sense into your head. We say that and then we shake the dust off our feet and we move on down the road. Or maybe we say, well, let's just live and let live. But Paul couldn't do either of those. He loved these believers too much to let them rush headlong off the cliff of self-destruction. Our passage today from chapter 4 of Galatians tells what Paul did. And more than that, it reveals the kind of heart that reaches out to those who don't want to hear what we have to say. Let's hear from the Apostle Paul in chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Paul says, I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news. But even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God and even Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if I had if that had been possible, have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? See, obviously there was a serious rift in this once close friendship. What had been warm became cool and now downright chilly. Paul's friends were not so friendly anymore. They, cha uh, they, they changed because Paul's strong abuke, uh, rebuke had hurt their feelings. So how do you speak truth into that sort of situation without making things worse. Well, earlier in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul calls them foolish Galatians, and some translations uses the word idiots. 
But here in chapter 4, he's very tender. He's more personal. If they thought he didn't care, they were mistaken because here his true heart is revealed. You see, the best ministry always flows out of personal relationships. It's about more than just teaching some principles or Bible doctrine. Ministry is about people. And Paul knew that. He could never win them if they remained angry with him. And how he does express his love without giving up his principles, uh, we'll see in just a few moments. He begins to remind them of past blessings that they enjoyed together. He says, I became like you. That is, I lived like a Gentile. I gave up the, the laws of the Jewish uh, tradition. Do the same thing. You didn't mistreat me. You didn't reject me. I'm not taking this personally, Paul says. I'm not basing our friendship on how you respond to me. And then he reminds them of how they first met. He says, I was sick, and, and you took me in and cared for me, even though I wasn't e that wasn't easy for you to do. He was repulsive, but they took him in. He was a, he was a man, but the, he says that you treated me like an angel, even like Jesus. His coming was a burden on them, but they did not turn him away. Now, we don't really know the precise nature of Paul's illness. Evidently, it was so serious that he spent some time in Galatia recovering from whatever the sickness was. It may have been malaria. That was very common in that part of the world at that time. It, and some commentators believe that it may have been a disease of the eyes called, uh, called op ophthalmia. And both diseases were present in that region in the first century. Both have, could have produced the results that he described. He must have been a, a mess to look at from everything that we read. The disease had weakened him. It had disfigured him. He was disgusting to look at. They could have just put him out, but instead they took him in. What a lesson that is for us. Often the best ministry happens in our weakness and pain. When we're at our lowest, God often uses us to touch people with the truth. Now we come to the heart of the passage in verses 15 and 16, and here Paul says, where is that joyful and grateful spirit that you felt then? I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? See, it's easy to see why the Galatians uh, loved Paul in the beginning. He brought them the gospel. He spoke of a God who loved them. He pointed them to the cross. He told them about God's way of forgiveness. He led them to Christ. Christ gave them freedom. And through Paul's preaching, even from his sickbed, they discovered a way out of the prison house of all the pagan superstition that they'd grown up in. No wonder they loved him so much. It would seem that if we don't love the teacher who shows us the grace of God, something's wrong. If we're not grateful for the word of life that sets us free, something's wrong. And these Galatians didn't love Paul because he was eloquent or handsome or because he was charismatic or he was a builder of builders and he was a good administrator. They loved him because he preached the good news of Jesus Christ to them. And that brings us back to the central point. What happened to their joy? What made for such a drastic change? Well, Paul's saying, my feelings for you have not changed. Why have your feelings for me changed? Evidently, the answer, you know, is, 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 evidently the answer is yes, they had changed. 
um, simply because he told them the truth. When they liked his message, they treated him like Jesus. When, they, when he said things they didn't want to hear, they turned on him. When he rebuked them for leaving the gospel, uh, they, they grew as cold as ice. Have you ever noticed that church people can be fickle? Have you ever noticed that? Every pastor, every church leader learns that sooner or later. There are always some people, Scripture says, that will not listen to sound doctrine. They want their ears tickled. They want to feel good. They want to just hear about the latest fad. They want health, wealth, and prosperity, all of those kinds of things. And we Christians like fads. For a while it was psychology, then it became political power, then it was anything that makes us feel good, and today there are a lot of folks who want a no-demand Christianity. Now we shouldn't be surprised by that when some people reject the, the truth in favor of a message that just want, they just want to feel good. Let's look at verses 17 and 18 where Paul begins to give them a warning about false friends. He says, those false teachers are so eager to win your favor but their intentions are not good. They are trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right, but let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. When Paul says those people, he's referring to the Judaizers who were courting these young, impressionable Galatian believers, and his argument against them goes like this. These false teachers eagerly are pursuing you, and that's very flattering, but it's also very confusing. The Judaizers wanted to make these Galatians their personal disciples. They wanted to break up their friendship with Paul. And the Judaizers would be saying, hey, join us and forget about Paul. Be part of our group. And Paul responds with a very stern warning. He says, they treat you like royalty now, but soon they're going to enslave you. And he paints the picture of a classic dysfunctional relationship. The Judaizers pretend to be your friends, Paul tells them, but what they really want is to control you. And here's a good warning sign here for all of us. Something is dreadfully wrong in a relationship if one person or one group needs to be in control all the time. If they have to know where you are and what you're doing and why and how you're doing it and if they want you to come to them for approval and if that... They disapprove when you don't. Something is wrong. Legalists prey on the weaknesses of others to gain control. They find emotionally crippled people and promise them the moon and then enslave them. Paul wanted the Galatian believers to follow Jesus Christ first and foremost. He wanted them to be zealous for the right things, for the right reasons. And next comes a declaration of personal concern, verses 19 and 20. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives, fully formed. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone, but at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. See, the language here is tender. It's personal. My dear children. Paul uses the image of a woman in labor to help explain his love for the Galatians. The word uh, developed or formed was sometimes used for the development of a baby in a womb. But Paul uses that word here to talk about his concern to see Christ fully formed in these believers. Nothing else mattered to him. 
That's why he cared so deeply and why he spoke so strongly. I am in agony for you, he said. I want Christ to be fully developed in you. I wish I could be there with you in person. I want the, to believe the best about you. But see, Paul is that parent who's in pain, watching his children go down the wrong road. If only, he says, I, you knew how much I hurt for you. See, here's the goal of all of ministry, is, and that is to help others be, to become like Jesus. Every Christ follower should take this to heart. Our supreme desire should be that Christ be developed in those who know us. Each, and, each one of us ought to be asking, are the people around me uh, who am I, I, I in a relationship with becoming more and more like Jesus because of my life? It's easy for us to live for the compliments. Isn't she a wonderful small group leader? Isn't he a fantastic musician? Isn't she gifted at teaching our children? Doesn't he make a fine leader? But you know, in the end, none of those things matter. We must strive to form Christ in those around us, not an image of ourself. I wanna wrap up today's message with four take-home truths. And these principles are especially meant for those who find themselves trying to help somebody who really doesn't want your help. How do we rescue someone who doesn't think they need to be rescued? Well, first of all, a gentle approach is always best. This is one of those principles that's easier to think about when we aren't in the middle of a controversy, when the sun is shining and all is well. We all agree that being gentle is the way to go. It's harder to do that when we're angry. And yet Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle, ang a gentle, gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. And most of us have learned this truth the hard way. We've tried yelling, we've tried threatening, tried even swearing, but it doesn't always work out very well. Being gentle doesn't seem to make sense, but it is God's way, the way of Jesus, who was gentle, meek, and mild. Secondly, being gracious does not mean that we're soft on sin. This is the flip side of the first principle. Gentleness doesn't mean that we wink at sin or look the other way or make excuses for wrong behavior. Being gentle just means that we don't overreact. Doesn't mean we don't react at all. Foolish behavior needs to be confronted, especially when there's a chance to save someone from a potentially life-changing mistake. But we need to be like Jesus, who was full of grace and truth and always kept those in perfect balance. Third, love tells the truth even when the other person doesn't want to hear it. This means that sometimes we will have to speak up even when our words are going to be misinterpreted. There are occasions when we know that no matter how hard we try, the person listening to us simply can't or won't see things from our point of view. Where moral issues are at stake, when a loved one has come to that moment of a crucial decision, it's our obligation to speak the truth in love. That means telling the truth and leaving the results to the Lord. And then fourth, when truth and love combine in us, the result is a powerful impact for Christ. There's one reason the Lord Jesus could not be ignored. He did not speak as other teachers, always quoting someone else. He spoke as one who had true authority, and yet no one could deny the love that motivated him to heal the sick, to calm the storm, to cast out the demons, to raise the dead, truth and love met in perfection in Jesus. And when we're able to make some small approximation of that divine combination in our words, our, what we say will be heard and lives will be changed. 
You see, there are those in our society today who think that all Christ followers are either bigoted or racist or homophobic or negative or holier than thou, and we're often hated and despised for our beliefs and values. Our arguments fall on deaf ears because that's how the world perceives us. One thing that often helps is the power of personal relationships. When we build those relationships first, we begin to shatter the, shatter the stereotypes in our, and open hearts in a way that arguments can't. If people we think, uh, think that we hate them, they're not going to listen to us, no matter how well-refined our argument is. I don't think that's a surprising thought to any of us. After all, personally, I find it very difficult to listen to someone if I think they can't stand me personally. But if I believe someone cares about me, I pay attention to that, even if I may disagree with them. And I stand back, as I stand back and view things from a biblical perspective, I believe that's why Paul wrote as he did in this passage, even though he has strongly, some people think, harshly rebuked these Galatian believers, he reaches out to them and he embraces them and by the words he writes. They may not agree with what he says, but they can't deny his love for them. So as I come to the end of this message today, I want to challenge each of us this morning to consider three questions. First, is there a broken relationship in your life today that you need to deal with? Is there a broken relationship in your life that you need to deal with? All of us have relationships that aren't right. And most of us have some relationships in our life that truly are broken. That's the way life is in a fallen world. We can't fix every relationship. We can't make everything right. But perhaps the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart today and reminding you of a particular relationship, someone you need to contact, a friend, a loved one, somebody you need to reach out to, and I encourage you to respond to the call of God's Spirit and do what you can to bring reconciliation. Secondly, are you willing to hear the truth even when you don't like it? Maybe it's a friend, a parent, a spouse, a co-worker who's been really trying to talk to you and you haven't listened because you know what they're going to say and you don't want to hear it. Will you put down your defenses for just a little bit and let God speak to you through someone who loves you enough to tell you the truth? And third, do you need to tell the, tr uh, do you need to tell the truth to someone who doesn't really want to hear it today? You may be in Paul's position, faced with the task of speaking the hard truth to those who really don't want to hear it. It's easy to give up, it's easy to get angry, to make excuses. Are you ready to say what needs to be said? and say it with as much love as you can muster, I encourage you to do that today. Don't delay. Speak the truth in love. Let God take care of what happens next. See, we need the wisdom of God. We need the love of Christ in order to help people around us. So may our hearts be cleansed from all impure motives. May our anger be replaced with genuine concern for other people. And may we be like Jesus, who was full of grace and truth. Let's pray. God, grant that we may be like Jesus so that those who follow us might become more like him. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.